Um, we're actually going to look at, you know, in Lent, which we're in the, um, this is the fourth Sunday in Lent, and we don't stop at the cross. Just keep, it, keep in mind, we don't stop with, with um, certainly Palm Sunday or Good Friday. We keep going, and we're eventually headed to Easter, where we actually see our birth as humanity, um, reborn. And we're going to talk about that today in Acts 27. So um, the, the text is there in, in the liturgy. And um, in, in this Lenten series, we've been in Acts, as many of you know, for a long time. But we're focusing specifically in this season of Lent on rethinking everything. Um, and today we're going to rethink salvation. Uh, and I'm going to stay up here, actually. I hope that's okay. A couple of y'all last Sunday, because I had to preach in the pulpit, a couple of you said, actually, you were better up there. So, uh, you know, I'm going to stay up here. And unless you want me to come back down, um, let me know that. I can, I'll, I'll do whatever. I'm here to please you. That's, that's what I'm here for. Um, I'm, uh, I don't always do a good job of that. But um, So uh, that's actually not what I'm here for. That was a joke. And you laughed, so that's good. Um, but uh, uh, anyway... In the season of Lent, we're, we're rethinking all sorts of things. And I, I do want us to, to rethink, what, what is a churchy word? Salvation. Uh, it's a biblical word, too. Um, you, you probably, someone has probably told you in your life, you need to get saved. <laughs> and we might need to unlearn some things to really understand what salvation, the salvation of God is referring to, actually. Um, and this, this passage, uh, Acts 27, so we are almost done with the book of Acts. Can y'all believe it? Acts 27 is the second to last chapter. It's a long chapter that is unique to the book of Acts. And so we're going to look at it a, a little uniquely from the rest of the book. The next two Sundays, this is part one. And then part two of rethinking salvation in Acts 27 will be next Sunday. What's unique about this passage is... It is, and this is what scholars suggest, and, I, and until this week I had not really studied this, and I, I'm persuaded by this argument that this is allegorical, what's going on. Now, this is a true story. This is a voyage that, that we know the Apostle Paul really took, but there's also an allegorical, a deeper meaning going on that points us, that really summarizes the whole book of Acts, this voyage. It summarizes the beginning of the church. It summarizes Paul's mission and so we're going to look at it that way. We're going to see what, what is being told on the surface, but then we're going to kind of dig and go underneath the surface, hopefully, too. Um, also, this is, there's a lot of, there's a deeper meaning here, metaphor and allegory around the salvation that Christ has to offer for humanity. The salvation that Christ has brought to humanity. So not just is this, is there a deeper meaning about Paul's mission? Like, this is not just symbolic of his entire mission. It's also symbolic of the salvation of Christ. So we'll look at that together. Um, if, if, you, if you like, you know, um, I don't know, the genre, the, the employees, well, maybe, maybe you read Homer's Odyssey or Virgil's Aeneid. I have not, but maybe you have. Those are famous voyages, journeys that are very much where there's a deeper meaning going on um, in those stories. Maybe you've seen A Brother, Where Art Thou? You know, that was based, the movie was based actually off of Homer's Odyssey. I don't know if you knew that. Maybe you've at least seen that. I've seen that. This chapter is like that, all right? So, so go with me. All right? so the, allow yourself to kind of think and imagine differently 
Acts 27, just going to read the first 13 verses. This is Paul on his voyage finally to Rome. That's where he was told by God he was where he was going to be eventually. Verse 1 begins this way. Sorry, that print looks really small. Hopefully you can read this. As soon as arrangements were complete for our sailing to Italy, Paul and a few prisoners were placed under the supervision of a centurion named Julius, a member of an elite guard. We boarded a ship from Adra- I couldn't say, that, say this this morning either. Adramatium that was bound for Ephesus and Ports West. Stop there for a second. You notice the we language? The us language? Anyone know who's with Paul on this journey? Luke. Good answer. <laughs> the author of the book is with Paul. So we get back to we, us, eyewitness account. This, really, this did really happen. Verse 3. The next day we put in at Sidon, Julius treated Paul most decently, let him get off the ship and enjoy the hospitality of his friends there. It's literally the friends there, which is another word for the early Christian movement, the friends. Out to sea again, we sailed north under the protection of the northeast shore of Cyprus because winds out of the west were against us. And then along the coast westward to the port of Mira. There the centurion found an Egyptian ship headed for Italy and transferred us on board. We ran into bad weather and found it impossible to stay on course. After much difficulty, we finally made it to the southern coast of the island of Crete and docked at Good Harbor, appropriate name. By this time, we had lost a lot of time. We had passed the autumn equinox, so it would be stormy weather from now on through the winter, too dangerous for sailing. Paul warned, I see only disaster ahead for cargo and ship to say nothing of our lives if we put out to sea now. But it was not the best harbor for staying the winter. Phoenix, a few miles further on, was more suitable. The centurion set Paul's warning aside and let the ship captain and the ship owner talk him into trying for the next harbor. When a gentle southerly breeze came up, they weighed anchor, thinking it would be smooth sailing. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do y'all think it will be smooth sailing? No, there's sort of an ominous hint there. Let's pray. Jesus, our life, if we really have lived very long at all, is anything but smooth. Anything but smooth sailing. Now, that's true for me. There are all these twists and turns, and it's hard to know how to navigate. Very easy to be fearful. Very easy to um, retreat inward in our own fear or our own um, attempt to kind of pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and just try harder. And for a lot of us, we've done that and have been left wanting. And um, so, Lord, I pray no matter who we are, no matter where we come from, no matter why we're here, I pray just briefly we would get our eyes off of ourselves, that we would pay attention to what's going, or going on. Um, in your kingdom. But you're going to have to give us eyes to see that Holy Spirit. So I pray for that now. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Luke uses the word salvation a number of times in this passage, and it, it seems very intentional. This is a voyage of salvation, leading to salvation. Um, it's the climactic story of Christ's salvation, but we, we need to rethink that. We need to rethink this. Um, but here in verse 13, I'm going to go ahead and give you the spoiler alert. They will make it safely and Paul will make it safely to Rome. Actually, the entire ship, which Luke later tells us is almost 300 people strong, will all make it to shore, safely to shore, but not without um, a whole lot of terror. I mean, a harrowing journey and suffering. Through all of this, everyone does get saved. But the, let me ask you this question, though, um, and, and try to root it now in, like, spiritually. What does it mean to be saved? Like, what exactly is being saved? You know, for these sailors and for the people on the boat, it's their, um, their very lives, right? They, as people, they are being saved, right? And the next question is, what are they being saved from? You know, I think it's a fair question. Sometimes I hear people sometimes jokingly say and serious to like a Christian who tells them they need to be saved. They're like, from what? I didn't know I needed to be saved. Like, um, thanks, Jesus, for dying for me. Uh, not sure I needed it, though. Um, it's a good question to ask. What are we being saved from? Well, well, they are on the boat. They're being saved from death, no doubt. But what I would call true salvation. You know, there's a salvation that's deeper than just physical safety. We, we need something deeper than that. What we need is actually the salvation of our true self, our, our very person. Yes, similar to the people on the boat. But who you've all, it needs rescuing. You need to be reborn, actually. But you're in rebirth, you're going back in a way. There's a passage that some of y'all will be familiar with in Jeremiah where, where God tells Jeremiah, I knew you before you were fitted in your mother's womb, formed in your mother's womb. I knew you. How can someone be known before they exist? We're meant to be like, wait a second, how, do, how does that work? God is saying to Jeremiah and to us, that God knows who we are in our perfection, in our wholeness, who we are meant to be before we're even born. And then it's true. We're born and life happens. Storms happen. The waves throw us here and there. And who that core being, although still there, kind of gets lost. And sometimes we lose our way. We lose ourselves. We need to be, at that point, saved. What is being saved? Your core being is being saved. Your true self. That is what is being saved. And you know what? Um, it's death and suffering that actually will enable us <laughs> to be saved and reborn. So unlike, in a way, the sailors and the people in the boat, we're not necessarily saved from physical death. We're not saved from suffering. Those are, in fact, the headwinds that propel us forward 
to discover who we've always been all along, who God saw before we were formed in our mother's womb. That's the salvation we need. In the end, it's only our false self that dies, actually. Our true self is reborn. And here's the thing. Jesus is the busted boat that brings us home. Jesus himself is the busted boat that brings us safely to the shore. Well, to you. That's our main teaching today. Um, I'm saying this passage is all about that. Here it is. Christ is the busted boat that brings you back to you. Christ is the busted boat that brings you back to you. Well, you may know this, but um, as we get in now into the, the text and into the story, the, sort of the surface level, um, there's a sea. And you may know that for Jews in ancient Judaism, uh, the sea represented something. The sea itself was a metaphor for chaos, for evil, for danger. And, um, you know, we see that throughout the story of Scripture at various points. where that's, It's clear that, that the, the sea itself is a metaphor for darkness, for, for scary things, um, for chaos and even evil. And Paul here, though, is bravely going straight into the darkness. That's what we see him doing now. He's not alone. And this is something we've also noticed with Paul throughout the, the journey of Acts, is he needs people with him. He needs friends. It just takes one or two. And sometimes those friends get sideways like Barnabas, and they don't reconcile as far as we know. That's, all, that's also part of life, isn't it? Healing and reconciliation will come one day. It may not always be in this life. It may take our death in order for that to happen, actually. But Paul, it's clear, needs people with him. And thankfully, he's got two friends going with him on this journey. Uh, Luke, the author, is back with Paul again. And Aristarchus, this, this fellow um, from, uh, from Macedonia, They're allowed to go with Paul on the journey. Um, Everyone else on the ship, eventually nearly 300, as Luke will say, uh, they, um, especially after they get on the boat that comes from Egypt, they are all slaves and prisoners. So here you've got this, uh, it's not a cruise ship. (laughs) This is a boat filled with prisoners and slaves, Paul being one of them all going to Rome. Julius, as you heard, is this kind Roman commander, this centurion that, that on the boat that we'll see befriends Paul. Um, even right here, the, the, imagine, a, he lets a prisoner actually give his advice <laughs> to the captain, to the commander. Really interesting there. Um, he also lets Paul visit with the friends. Literally, in the, in the Greek, it's, there's an article there, the friends. So Paul probably didn't know these people personally in Sidon. This was, these were early people, followers of the way. Um, new Mandalorian series is out now. And every time I hear them say, this is the way, this is the way, I, th- I think of Acts, actually, because I'm nerdy like that, I guess, and I'm really enjoying studying Acts. That was, the, that was what the early Christians were called, people of the way. This is the way. They were also called the friends. 
as we see here. And so these friends, um, followers of the way, they, they provide Paul with the food and water that he'll need for the voyage ahead. And I want to pause here. This is just kind of an aside. But have you noticed as we've gone through Acts that the Roman authorities are a lot nicer than the religious people? Have y'all noticed that? It's, it's the Roman authorities who, they would fit, we would put them, if you're, I don't know, a religious person, a Christian certainly, you would put them in the irreligious category. They, they certainly didn't follow the way or the God of the Bible. And yet at every turn, and I don't think it's a coincidence, we see two groups of people, the religious, and they're really mad, really angry. They're trying to literally kill Paul, imprison him. And then you see the irreligious who are saving Paul at every turn, it seems. Nicer than the religious people. This is what I've learned in my life. This, you, some of y'all will not agree with me on this. That's fine. You don't have to. But just take this. This is, this is my advice to you if you call yourself a Christian. If you find yourself in a pickle, let's say, with other Christians, and you're in a group of Christians, and there's some toxicity going on, there's some, you're in a pickle, here's, here's my advice. Ask yourself, what would my... Um, friend who doesn't identify as Christian think about this situation? I mean this. What would they think about this situation? If they would say, uh, you know, that's, that's weird and stupid. <laughs> it is weird and stupid. They have better perspective. We lose ourselves, religious people, we lose ourselves among the trees sometimes. We lose perspective entirely. Hopefully you have friends who, don't identify, who aren't religious because those are all Jesus' friends, by the way. Hopefully you have those friends too. Listen to them. They see the forest oftentimes better than religious people. That's just an aside. Um, back to the story. So Paul is heading into the powerful wind of the open seas of the Mediterranean. And he's not afraid. It's not because he's extra brave. It's because he met the creator of those waves. He met God on the road to Damascus and found God to be, well, someone he had to rethink altogether. He also realized that it's the wind, both literally and metaphorically, that's going to pull him home. The wind is going to pull him home. Um, Anyone here been sailing before on the open seas? Yeah, a few of you. Um, I have one time. I had the privilege of, uh, in 2008, um, going with a group of guys to uh, the British Virgin Islands. And this was definitely a chance of a lifetime. And, um, you know, if you can imagine a map, Venezuela, and then go east, I think it is. And eventually you come to these little islands that um, are under British control still. And, uh, and I was able to have an all expense paid. I got, I, all I had to pay was the, the, the plane uh, ticket round trip. Everything else was paid for. And I got to go, I got to bring my best friend with me and got to go to the British Virgin Islands. And um, if, if you've never been there, just think, think in your mind's eye, the Caribbean, maybe pictures of the Caribbean, crystal clear, blue water, white, beautiful sand, and the Blue Ridge Mountains coming out from the water. 
That's the British Virgin Islands. It's breathtakingly gorgeous. And so we get on this monohull, meaning just one hull. This, it's a real deal sailboat with a mast and a sail. And we're, I mean, we're out in the open seas. And I learned for the first time in my life something about um, uh, sailing. And, and this is what I learned. This is really fascinating to me. This is how it was being explained to me on the boat. The boat, and you may know this if you've been sailing, the boat is meant to face the headwinds. It's meant to, not not at an angle, and Rebecca was reminding me this morning, not necessarily head on, but you're facing the resistance. And yes, you hit it at an angle so that it hits the sail. And as you hit the wind, the headwinds, um, a vacuum forms and it propels the boat forward. The resistance is needed to actually propel you forward. It pulls you forward. The wind. Um, it's like that expression, kicking against the goads. You, we are learn- Some of y'all are learning this in life, as I am. We actually need the resistance. We need those goads to kick against, to actually pull us where God intends for us to go. That's true for sailing. It's a metaphor for life. Um, now, on this boat, there is a moment, the very beginning, where uh, I've never been sailing. It is a beautiful day. Now, it's a lot warmer than today, but the, like today, there wasn't a cloud on the sky. It was, it was just a perfect day. And we start out in the open seas, and I mean, the boat is doing like this. I mean, I'm, I'm not exact. Like it, I thought it was about to capsize. And I'm, and like, I'm the, no one, no one else is nervous but me. Um, cause they were, they were all, I think I was the only one that hadn't been sailing before. And I'm like huddled up on this little bench and I am freaking out <laughs> thinking, why did I do this? Um, 10 days of this. And I'm, I'm, you know, this is when people get sick and they lose their lunch and I'm rethinking being on this boat. Right. And clearly it was all over my face, the anxiety, the fear. I, I thought we were about to die. And so this guy who uh, is actually was sort of an important religious figure on the boat, but on the boat, he, he had a boat name named Biff. He wanted you to call him Biff, not Dr. Whatever. And Biff comes up to me, he sits down and he goes, are you the, are you the kind of guy that, or person that if you know the science behind, behind how, this, how something works, will that help you? Like, like if you know the mechanics of what's going on here, will that set you at ease? I was like, yes, please, I'll take anything. And so he said, the boat is actually made to, to be tossed by the waves like that, to, to do this kind of thing. It's made to do that. And literally, it, it, it's impossible for it to capsize, short of a really bad hurricane. It is impossible for this boat to turn over. And immediately, I was like, I was fine. The rest of the trip, I was fine. The rest of the adventure, the voyage, I was fine as we hopped from island to island. Friends, here's the thing about, how does that relate to this story in Acts? This boat that they are in, that we are in, that I am calling Jesus, it is literally impossible for it to capsize. It will not capsize. It will not turn over. Now, you may experience shipwreck in life that is real, but ultimately we are in Christ. We are in the boat that will always get us to our destination. It will not capsize. 
But suffering and hardship is the sail that the wind will use to pull us forward. But we don't have to be afraid. The suffering and the hardship is the sail that pulls us home. Do you know what the word is in the Greek? I know Reverend Toon does. For, for spirit, it's pneuma. Do you know how that could be translated? It's another, I mean, it could be translated just as easily, not spirit, but wind, breath. It's that wind, it's that resistance, actually, that is meant to get us home. And another biblical factoid here for you. Um, I, I, hope, I hope the Bible, I hope you're enfolded into the story of Scripture. It is a sacred, living, breathing text. I hope you feel this. So there, here's one little, little thing about arcs in the Bible. You've probably heard of Noah's Ark. Um, what, what, did that, what did that ship do? Well, it preserved Noah and his family and humanity, rescued um, Peter will say the flood was a baptism. They were reborn out of that, rescued. The ark rescues Noah, his family, all of humanity. Same word in the Hebrew was also used for the basket that held Moses down the Nile to what? Safety, rescue, salvation. That ark is Christ. The boat is Christ. It takes the brunt of the storm, friends. The boat takes the waves, it takes in water, but it cannot capsize because the boat is God, the creator of the waves. Well, let me, let me end with this. Um, again, back to Jeremiah, who God says, I knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. That being it will be preserved in all of us. Our being, our perfect being is meant to be preserved. And this is all, this is what's going to, the storms of life, they're going to beat against us. But that is what is being saved. That is what is being saved. That is what Christ came to save. That one in you that God saw before the foundation of the world, before you existed, is what is being saved. Did, did you know it, that it needs to be saved? Maybe we need to start there. Did you know it actually needs to be saved? Um, surely you do. Surely you realize that, that, that we are not right. <laughs> um, and the world is not okay. And something's wrong and needs saving. And that is what is being saved by Christ. That is who Christ came to save. But you have to be, here's another churchy word, born again. Let's say born anew, born from above. That has to happen, but you're just going back to you. Jesus says this in John 3, 8, the message translation. So don't be surprised when I tell you that you have to be born from above, out of this world, so to speak. You know well enough how the wind blows this way and that. You hear it rustling through the trees, but you have no idea where it comes from or where it's headed next. That's the way it is with everyone born from above, by the wind of God, the Spirit of God. It's what it means to be born again. Let's, let's reclaim that word. Um, evangelicals have, done a, have made a mess of things. That language, 
literally born from above, born anew. It means the salvation of your core self that God knew before you were conceived. That is being brought back to life. Jesus, or Paul rather, in 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For now I see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Through death, through the hardship, this day is coming, friends. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. We will see what God saw before the foundation of the world, and it's going to be breathtaking. It's good news. Let's pray. Jesus, help us to embrace that good news. Give us hope. We may be in a storm right now um, that sure feels more real than anything else going on in our lives. Help us to see more deeply. Help us to see the kingdom more clearly. I pray that my friends here would, would at least know That's what the voyage and the journey called life is all about. It's about the salvation of our core being. Thank you, Jesus, that you came not to save who we're pretending to be, but who we really are. In Jesus' name, amen.